0: And let's pray together. Father, now we have the joy of exploring your word and reading the cry of a man in deep trouble who understood his days and his problems no better than we understand our own. Help us listen to his struggle with you and hear his prayer at the end that we may learn from it and be changed as he was. I pray this, Lord, Because you're good, and because you're the kind of merciful God who listens to questions. Even when they're impertinent, even, Lord, when they're they're out of place, you're so loving, so kind, that you listen to us, and you give us answers. Maybe not in the time we would like them, but you always answer. So we thank you, and we ask that you would teach us to listen, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Crosspoint, and good morning, wherever you are, uh, watching anywhere in the world, really. As I'm going to share with you this morning, God has not stopped working. Because our church, at the heartbeat of our church, is missions, I've heard from missionaries in, in difficult places like the Middle East. I've heard from Mexico. I've seen reports also from Costa Rica and from across Africa and reports from missionaries that are working with refugees who were displaced by famine and war long before our own trouble started here in the United States. And in all of those circumstances, God is not done working. He's not done drawing people to himself. Sometimes it's the crisis that makes people turn to Christ. And this morning, the book that we're looking in presents a man in crisis, So I want to give you, if you're not using our online environment and you don't see the Scripture on the screen, I want to give you a moment to find it. It's the little Old Testament book of Habakkuk, a little tiny jewel of a book with a strange name. And the easiest way to find it, if you're not very familiar with the Bible, is to start in the Gospel of Matthew and look backward, about 20 or 30 pages, and you'll find the little book of Habakkuk. While you're looking, let me also extend my welcome not only to those here in California that are part of our church home, but anywhere you're watching. I've had great and encouraging messages from Texas and Tennessee and Virginia and the islands of Hawaii. Thank you. If you're by chance watching us for the first time or you've been watching and you've been quiet about it, we'd love to hear from you. Text us the word welcome at just this number, 714-868-7258. 714, that is the most beautiful area code in the country, I'm convinced, my hometown, Huntington Beach, California, 714, and then 868-7258, send just the word welcome, and we're going to send you a gift by mail wherever you live in the United States. Fair enough? Have you had a time? Have you had a moment to find Habakkuk? Let me tell you about him, and let me ask you a question that might orient you to his time and his day. He lived about six hundred years before Jesus. He lived in a time where Judah, the nation of Israel, the capital city of Jerusalem, had gone after idolatry, and because Habakkuk was close to God and was actually about to be used to speak to the people about God through his writing and through what he learned from God, he was very troubled by the wickedness he saw around him. And that led him to try to tell God what to do in the world. So question for you, and you can discuss this briefly. Don't get too far off track because it's hard if you're home in your PJs and surrounded by kids and dogs and all the things that online in-home church involves. Ask yourself this question, have you ever told God how to run the world? You ever done that? I have, and the way Habakkuk is going to do it is actually a rather polite way of telling God that he doesn't agree with the world he finds himself in. The way Habakkuk is going to try to get to move God to Habakkuk's plan is by asking God a question. Have you ever asked anybody a question to get them to do what you want? Here's one that I sometimes hear around my house. And I hear it now from more than one person. I actually have heard it from uh, all three of the other people in my home. The question sounds like this, is that what you're wearing? And the answer is always, of course not. No, these these old rags, no. I was actually on my way to take out the trash for the last time, and then I'm going to throw these old, ugly, socially embarrassing clothes away. Of course, I'm not going to wear this. Now, that's a polite way of trying to wake dad up to the fact that he doesn't match, or that was last year's whatever, or is that what you're wearing? Habakkuk's questions are actually heart-wrenching. Like all people who love God and serve God surrounded by wickedness and evil, Habakkuk cannot understand why God doesn't step in and make things right. So he asked God a question. Look with me in Habakkuk chapter 1 now, in verse 2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong?" destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Here's Habakkuk's question. He asked God, why don't you judge the wicked people in our nation? God, do you see what they're doing? They're perverting justice. Justice. The people who love you and are trying to serve you, they're getting crushed underfoot. People who are idolatrous have no regard for you. They're acting as if you didn't exist, as if you didn't care. How can you sit there and look at this? That's specifically the question in verse 3. Why do you idly look at wrong? Do you see the magnitude of that question? Bad people are getting away with bad things, and you're just sitting there, God, you're idle. That's his first question. And the answer from God is frightening. God said, I will step in. I am about to do something. The Babylonians are coming. You see, it didn't happen in Habakkuk's lifetime, but God was already preparing a brutal nation to judge his own. Habakkuk didn't see it and couldn't believe it at that moment. God was conscious of every evil deed in the lives of people who should have known better, and he was going to raise up what Habakkuk here calls the Chaldeans. It's a reference to the Babylonian Empire, one of the great ancient military powers Of history, And God says in chapter 1, verse 6, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. We're moving quickly. Look over down to verse 10. This is how the Babylonian empire acted. This is the kind of men, this is the kind of army they were. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. And here's one of the indications that the Bible is rooted in actual history. What God is describing here is an ancient and powerful technique to besiege and take down a city because cities were walled and armies that were strong enough marched right up to them, built earthen works in front of them, and built basically a man-made hill as tall as the walls that surrounded the city and then sent their soldiers surging over the wall to kill everyone inside. This is the kind of people they are. God knows it, verse 11. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. And that description, as I'm going to explain to you, kind of still gives me chills. God's answer is, Habakkuk, I didn't need you to ask, but I will give you an answer. I see the wickedness around you, and I am raising up the Babylonians to judge the people and the sin that troubles you so much. Well, if you're Habakkuk and you've had the bold audacity to ask God a question and to also politely tell God not to sit around and to do something, put yourself in his situation. How do you think that answer made Habakkuk feel? Well, it might not surprise you, that led to a second question. The second question was this, they're worse than we are. What about them? Certainly that God can't be an answer. We're idolatrous. We're wicked. Certainly our courts and our laws, our system of justice is at a standstill, but they're so much worse than we are. What about them? Habakkuk says in chapter 1, verse 13, we're moving right through the book. 1, 13, Habakkuk says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In other words, Habakkuk has asked a pressing question and received an answer that troubles him even more. He knows prophetically what these Babylonians are. Look at the kind of people they are. They're drunk with power. They worship power. Verse 16. Speaking of the king of Babylon who represents the whole country, it says, Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? To put that in our terms in the modern world, Habakkuk would be saying, God, These are the kind of people who worship their guns. They worship their military might. They have no relationship with you. They love power. They love violence. They're so much stronger than we are. If you send them in among us, that's going to be so much worse because they're so much worse than we are. Told you a moment, this verse gives me a chill because when we were missionaries, I My family and I lived in northern Mexico, and for several years we lived directly beside a family that was cartel-related in northern Mexico. That wasn't idle speculation. That wasn't gossip. That's how they introduced themselves to us a few days after we moved in. They told us what they did, and they told us of people in their family who had already been killed in the Mexican cartel wars. And it was a sobering thing to live beside people who were so casual and so acquainted with that kind of violence. It never left my mind for a day we were in Mexico that, humanly speaking, I was alive because the neighbors wanted me to be. That's how Habakkuk felt. I had trust in God, and Habakkuk does too, but Habakkuk is being told the answer to your question of justice delayed and justice denied is I am going to judge my own people. I'm raising up the Babylonians to send them in among you, and I'm going to discipline you and you and correct you as promised. Now the objection is more strenuous. They're worse than we are. What are how can that possibly rewrite? And the answer is, Habakkuk judgment is coming for them too. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk said, I will take my stand at my watchpost, and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, well, I'm, I'm really brokenhearted now. I'm just going to take my watch. I'm going to stand watch and wait for God's answer. I've been complaining to God. He gave me a heartbreaking answer that makes me fear for the very existence of my nation. And now I'm going to stand here quietly and see what he tells me. And here's the answer and here's the heart of the book. Here's where this strange little book buried toward the end of the Old Testament connects with the story of Christ and with ours. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says, The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. In other words, write this down so that everyone will know, so that it will be clear to everyone who I am and what I'm doing. And chapter 2 verse 4 is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. Don't miss this. God is now going to describe to Habakkuk the life of the godless Babylonians he knows and the difference that he wants between wicked people who don't love God and God's own people who should trust him. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 tells the story. Speaking again of the king of Babylon and the whole country of Babylon, the whole empire, God says, behold, his soul the Babylonian king's soul is puffed up, and it is not right upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. You ever read that before in the New Testament? It's everywhere in the New Testament. It's quoted expressly with those very words three times, and its idea is found everywhere across the New Testament. What God's ultimate answer to Habakkuk is this. I understand your complaint. Don't worry. The Babylonians are coming. Well, God, that's much worse. What about them? Oh, I'll judge them in due time as well. Write it down so that they and you will know. And Habakkuk, here's what I want you to see in the midst of your trouble. And listen to me, church, because this is at the heart of the message. And though this was written about 650 years before the birth of Jesus, in other words, some 2,600 years before our time, it couldn't be any more timely. It's as timely as Twitter. What God is telling Habakkuk is this, the only way to live is to trust me. I know you don't understand. I know you have questions. I know you have questions regarding my character and my timing and my provision and my sense of justice and the time I appoint for justice. Here's what I have to tell you, Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by his faith. The only way to live with God is to trust God. That's what faith means. And consider this, if we call it faith and if we call it trust, what we're implicitly saying at the same time is that it's hard to trust God. You don't need courage if you're not afraid. It's no good to speak of love unless indifference and hate are also an option. It's no use, it doesn't make sense to speak of selfless sacrifice until you've seen also selfish greed and self-centered living. In the same way, these troubled times that Habakkuk lived in and the troubled time we're living through now, the answer from God, as ever, as always, is this. The righteous, the person who is right with me, gets that way by trusting me. Have you had questions for God in these times? I certainly have. You see, this book of Habakkuk... The reason there's this back and forth between God and Habakkuk is if you step back and look at it as a piece of literature because it is beautifully written, it's written like a lament. You have a question and an answer and a question and an even more troubling answer. The words are poetic. It speaks of the king of Babylon as the kind of man and with armies that sweep through the land like the wind, sweep through the land like predators that capture people as if they were simple creatures living in the sea and drags them out with a net. It's very poetic. It's very literary. It's a powerful way of describing the kind of violence and the kind of devastation that Habakkuk himself knows is coming. And God is contrasting here a life of faith that he wants from his people and the life of idolatry that the Babylonians practice. Look ahead in chapter 2, verse 18, because what we're contrasting here is chapter 2, verse 4, where the righteous shall live by faith and the idolatrous living of the godless nation of Babylon. Look in verse 18 and see if you can make the move, see if you can step forward from 2,600 years ago into our time and take the lesson to heart that this has for us. Chapter 2, verse 18, God says, speaking of Babylon now and also of his people who had become idolatrous, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You see, what Habakkuk is showing, what Habakkuk is being shown is there's two ways to live You can trust God and have life eternal. You can trust God and move through hard days. You can overcome fear and you can overcome idolatry and you can overcome self-regard. And even when you don't understand all that he does and all that he is and all that he's doing in your life and the life of your family, you can make the courageous decision to trust God anyway or you can retreat back to your idols. God here is pronouncing in the length of chapter 2, which I didn't read, Habakkuk writes a long woe to Babylon. He shows that all of their evil, all of their drunkenness, all of their oppression, all of their enslaving of other nations, all of their love and death and violence will get them nowhere. There's an old saying that justice delayed is justice denied. God has a different point of view From our point of view, justice often is delayed, but God will assure anybody who cares to listen, he and his justice will not be denied. It may take time, which is why he had Habakkuk write it down so that all these years later you and I can look at a man in more trouble than we have ever been and hear God say the choice that you have is whether you're going to trust me or trust your idols. That's at the heart of the book. That's what carries over into the New Testament. When Paul in the book of Romans and also in Galatians and the author of Hebrews quotes Habakkuk and says, the righteous will live by his faith. In other words, people won't be righteous by being good enough. People won't be righteous by pleasing God enough. People will be righteous only when they humbly trust God the choice is always between trusting an idol and trusting God. That's the choice I have this morning. I, my life with Christ, if you're a Christian, my life with Christ began the same way yours did. It began with faith and in faith. From the moment I stopped trusting myself and started trusting him, when I took his word for it that my sin was severe enough to deal me someday physical death and later forever spiritual death and that the cost of forgiving my sin was to put my sin on innocent, blameless Jesus so that he could trade lives with me and that what I had to do to have that eternal life was to give up on myself, my favorite idol... And start trusting God instead, that's where the Christian life begins, and that's where the Christian life is sustained, and that's where the Christian life ends as well. Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 6. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith in these hard days, you cannot be pleasing to God, Christian. Now, is this a straight line of always trusting God? It wasn't for Habakkuk, and it's not for me. Maybe you have your own questions for God as I do. Maybe you wish, as Job once wished, that God would appear and answer his questions. Maybe you felt in the pit of your despair through this pandemic that God is sitting idly by, that you're being hurt by injustice, the injustice of an employer, the injustice in your own home and your family, the injustice of the world around you. Maybe you feel oppressed by authority and you just want God to step in and act. Understand, the way to be pleasing to him is the same way you came to Christ in the first place, by trusting that he is there, by drawing near to the God you believe that exists and that he will reward those who seek him. It's always a choice between idolatry and faith. That's the first two chapters of Habakkuk. That's the question and the answer. That's the lament. And then comes the best part of the book. Because chapter 1 verse says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. And it gives us a strange Hebrew word probably indicating to what music this prayer was to be set so that God's people could learn it. You may look at the very end of chapter 3. It says, "...to the choir master with stringed instruments." In other words, Habakkuk prayed to God and wrote it down so that God's people then and God's people now would know how to speak to God in a time of crisis, would know how to speak to God when they think God needs a reminder of how to run his world. And please understand, one of the pitfalls of preaching is when God shows you a truth in his word and you explain it to people, the pitfall is that sometimes the people listening to the preacher think the preacher has it all sorted out and is doing everything he's preaching. I'm not. This is all true. This is where I try to live. This is, by God's grace, where I believe I live most of the time, but every. Person on earth who has ever walked with God has had questions for him. Every person who has ever walked with God has had doubts and fears and felt accusation inside and outside of him or her as they've struggled with the injustice and the terrible troubles of life. But I want you not to feel alone. I want you to feel in good company with Habakkuk and David and Abraham and the disciples and the first apostles and everyone who ever entrusted the, their lives to God. But more than anything, I want you to listen to Habakkuk pray. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. Listen. In the midst of the years... Revive it. Your work. In the midst of your year, in of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Listen to this request. In wrath, remember mercy. What's Habakkuk praying? He's praying this God, revive your work among us, even as your judgment falls. Even as you correct us as we deserve. Please your, revive your work among us. The last phrase of verse 2, in wrath, remember mercy. God, we can, we can hear the trumpets. We can hear the clank of armor. We can hear the thud of massed men standing in formation, standing behind banners, gathering up chariots, sharpening swords, loading up arrow and bow. We hear them coming, that's wrath for us. God, please, in wrath, remember mercy. That's what we should pray for. Many of us have asked ourselves are these days of wrath? Is this our fault? Why is this happening? No one can tell you for sure. Anyone who claims to understand why this has come and all that God is doing in it is saying more than he can actually know. But you can pray along with Habakkuk, God, in times of judgment, in times of trial, in days when it feels like your anger is being poured out. In all of that, please, God, remember mercy. And he will, and he has. Just this morning, I received an email from a dear friend who pastors a church back east In December, he said, a Chinese student came from a city that is now famous and will be forever. A student came from China, from the city of Wuhan, seeking doctoral studies in Boston, Massachusetts. He was there to interview in doctoral programs, and he had to stay because of the crisis. And in that time, this Chinese student who came seeking education found Christ instead and was saved. And just this week, with the extra time he was given in the country since he cannot return home, he came to my pastor friend and said, you know, I know I've placed my faith in Jesus. I see that the Bible says I have to be baptized. I'm willing to buy the super soaker. If you fill that up with water, you can stand at a safe distance and get me all wet because I want to be baptized and I want to be baptized now. And my friend explained to him that there were other ways and there would be another time but that's just one small way that in wrath God has remembered mercy. A Chinese student now knows Christ and loves Jesus and wants to obey him so deeply and so dearly that he's actually studying the New Testament with the mind of a scholar, trying to find out some corona workaround so that he can do what Jesus said and be baptized. That's not all that Habakkuk prayed. Move down to verse 13. In the verses that follow, Habakkuk recounts to God all the different times they were in trouble with other empires, and God came through to save them. And in verse 13, he says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. In other words, from the present day suffering Habakkuk was in, he had the wisdom to look back. And I would encourage you to do the same. If you've known the Lord for years and you've seen his faithfulness in the past, don't fixate on the present suffering. Look back and see his faithfulness to you in the past. Habakkuk looked at history. The present was altogether depressing, but he looked at the past and said, you went out for the salvation of your people. In other words, you've saved us before. You're the kind of God who steps forward to save people who you love who don't deserve it. And that gave him the confidence, and this is the conclusion of the book and its point. Habakkuk then said, so God, here's my commitment to you after having argued with you, after having, you, having brought you impertinent questions and heard hard answers to my questions. Here's my commitment to you. I will trust you no matter what happens. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom... Nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And that's the ancient world. What Habakkuk is portraying is a total loss. There's nothing in the fields, there's nothing on the trees. The stalls of our animals that we work with and the stalls of the animals that feed us are empty. Though all of that happened, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, if there's no fruit on the vines, if there's no produce from the olives, if there's no yield from the fields, if the flock is cut off and there's no herd in the stalls, listen to the commitment, listen to faith, church, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What's that mean? Hunters understand it. And maybe you've had the fortune, either through a documentary or hopefully in nature, of see a deer escape. You see, given the opportunity, a deer will run for the high ground. He'll get up high, away from the predator, away from the hunter. And the curious thing about deers is, even as they run for their lives, they appear so joyful, they appear to jump up the mountains that the hunter and the predator cannot come. That's what Habakkuk is saying to God. Even if my entire world falls apart... Having asked you hard questions and having heard your answers, having heard from you, God, that the only way to live is to trust you, here's my commitment to you. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Faith means moving from what if to even if. You see, what's torturing so many of us and keeping us awake all night is that we are endlessly spinning out what-if scenarios. What if this goes on for another two weeks? What if this goes on for a month What if this impacts my job? What if this impacts my school? What if this impacts my children and my job and their school even more than it already has? What if, what if, what if you'll drive yourself to the brink of sorrow and beyond, living with a what-if mindset? Faith doesn't do it. Faith means moving from what-if to even-if. Here's the message of Habakkuk. Here's my prayer for you and my prayer for myself and my wife and my children. We will trust God even if... Anything. That's our commitment as Christians because God did save His anointed. He surrendered the life of His Son Jesus Christ so that you could have eternal life forever. And this life right here, right now, this life can be exceedingly hard. And that's one of, been one of the frustrations and the heartbreak for some of you. Some of you are in close relationships with people who think that the way to move forward is with a Pollyanna attitude that says everything's fine. No, understand from the book of Habakkuk, everything's wrong. Everything's a mess. Everything is harder than we ever imagined. And God in his mercy lets you listen in as a heartbroken man who was trying to love him, asked him questions, and here's that man's conclusion left for us in Scripture written down so that we could run with it. Trust God, even if. Move out of a what-if mindset and say to the Lord, your joy, your strength the one who can take you from the valley of trial where everything assaults you and put you up on high places near him where you can be secure and you can be provided for. Make a commitment now that you will trust him no matter if anything. Let's pray together. Please don't just watch me pray on your screen. Take a moment to yourself and pray to the Lord. Give Him your sorrow. Give Him your questions. If you've been angry the way Habakkuk was, if you've been indignant thinking that God is taking too long, could you take that to Him and confess it to Him now? Would you ask God to give you the grace to be the kind of person who trusts Him even if... Ask him to move you out of what if to even if by faith. And if you don't know Jesus, now's your time. Maybe God's been moving in your life the way he was in the life of that PhD student from China. Maybe in his grace, all of this worldwide chaos can be orchestrated so that Christ saves you. Wherever you are, however you're struggling, take a moment now and tell the Lord about it. Lord Jesus, give us the grace to believe that you listen, to believe that you have died for sin, and that we can trust you even if. Keep from us, Lord. Keep us vigilant to stay away from what-if thinking and to say with Habakkuk, even if, even if the world falls apart, even if I don't get the answer I want, even if I am dissatisfied, even then, even if that happens, Lord, I will trust you. You are my joy. You are my strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe, just maybe, this is the morning that after a lot of input and a lot of pursuit from God, you have finally humbled yourself and trusted Jesus. If so, could I give you that number again? 714-868-7258. 714-868-7258. If you've trusted Jesus this morning or you don't even, you're not entirely sure what that means, but you're sick of yourself and ready to trust God, would you just text the word JESUS TO THAT NUMBER? IF YOU'RE GOOD WITH GOD, IF YOU'RE RIGHT WITH GOD, IF YOU'RE ONE OF THOSE RIGHTEOUS WHO'S LIVING BY FAITH, you're, YOUR FUTURE'S SETTLED, YOU'RE SECURE IN THE LOVE OF GOD, AND YOU JUST WANT TO INTRODUCE YOURSELF, YOU WANT TO CONNECT WITH US, JUST SEND THE WORD WELCOME, JUST THE WORD WELCOME TO THAT SAME NUMBER. IF YOU WANT TO HELP US TODAY, IF YOU'RE LOCAL, IN JUST A LITTLE BIT, IN ABOUT HALF AN HOUR AT 1030, WE'RE GOING TO START A FOOD DRIVE outside in the parking lot. We'll have drive-through prayer as well. If you need prayer, if you need a human being to sit beside you at a safe distance and pray for you and listen to you, I'll be honored to be that person. If, like so many have from really all over the place, people we don't even know have been generous, you want to give. It's not a matter of you needing help. It's a matter of you wanting to help. Connect with us online. Use any of those giving platforms. Whatever resource God has placed in your hand, he can use it for good. God bless you. We love you. I'm going to pray a final blessing. Ask God to give us the grace to trust him this way. Jesus, thank you for your word. It speaks across millennia to tell frightened people where life is to be found. Help us to trust you, and in that trust, show that we really know you, and you've made a difference when we say with Habakkuk, whatever happens, you'll have our trust. We love you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Crosspoint family, I love you so much. Thank you for joining us in worship. If you need anything at all, use the same website to reach out. Let us know how we can help. We want to serve you in the name of our great God. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.